0: I am an avid people watcher. So if you were to be with me, we go to New York City, I would be not distracted by the Empire State Building or the cool sights, but the people. Because people do very funny things. Like I'd just be walking in the street and I'll be like, yo, that guy's a Smurf hat on. You guys see that? And everyone would be so concerned with something else, but I find that I am always people watching. Well, this doesn't always serve me well, because ten or more years ago now. Um, we were on a missions trip, and we were doing all this stuff. We were working on homes. We were up in New Hampshire working with an organization called Work Camp New England, and so we're fixing up poor people's homes. We're painting them. We're fixing them. But they gave us a day, and they said, hey, listen, uh, go out with your group and do something fun. Go out to a restaurant or whatever. I don't remember what we did that day, but what I do remember is that as I was walking in... You know, the town, I lagged behind the group because I'm just staring at everyone. And I noticed this man, and he had this huge poster board. He's holding this poster board, and he, on it was all of these things written that, that humankind could do better. And he was probably standing on a soapbox, which was kind of ironic to, not ironic, but kind of funny when you think about people standing on a soapbox. Anyway, so he's doing that, and he's shouting, you know, like, repent and change, repent and change, to the whole people that didn't really listen. And so I'm watching this, kind of like a bad you know, accident, you kind of just can't look away. And we meet eyes. And he turns to me and goes, Repent and change! He sounded like a pirate. Like it was just like kind of took me off guard. And I remember being like, Well, hold on a second. I got, we're a church. Like we should hashtag same team maybe. Like let's try this out. So I said, Hey, uh, listen, we're, we're here with a, you know, we're on a mission trip working on stuff, we're, we're you know, we're, we're helping people in the name of Jesus, and I'm going on and on, and he's just listening, and once I stop, he goes, well, that's great, but repent and change, and I just go, okay, and I left, you know, I guess we're not on the same team after all, um, but here's the thing, he didn't listen, he just shouted, and he, it, it, there's no care in that, right, and, and here's the thing, as a Christian, and now as a pastor, you know, that is cringy to me. Man, I hate when someone is doing something in the name of Jesus that isn't very Jesus-like. And now we got to give grace to those people, absolutely. But it kind of reminds me of, hey, well, we might have all had at one point or another a poster board guy in our life. Well, what do you mean by a poster board guy? Meaning like someone who is judgmental, someone who maybe was a teacher, maybe it was someone at work you encounter, they, they... They came to you in a very mean, judgmental way that was self-righteous, and and it kind of pushed you away. And I think what happens is when we experience something like that, we can kind of go to extremes. Some of us, we experience that, we're like, whoa, if that's how Jesus is, then I want nothing to do with him. Some of us who maybe we believe and we already subscribe to the faith, we say, wow, I don't want to be that guy ever. And the extreme that we run to is that we see a bad example and then we say to ourselves, well, I don't ever want to be that, so then you and I, we can stop being an example. So either we remove ourselves from the equation altogether or we remove ourselves out of the conversation. And here's the problem. The problem is that the few often can represent the many. right? The few can often represent the many. The media will highlight and hound on the few that are negative. You know, the poster board guys that we run into in our lives, right? They are the few, they're not the many. So what our world is truly missing here is the pure message of the gospel. And see, we're the church. Everyone in this room, we are the church. We make up the church, not the walls, not a school, what we've learned, right? As we moved buildings, we're in a new place here today. Man, what makes up the church is the people, right? So you and I, we are the church. But when we leave this place, we go back to a world that is full of violence, racism, frustration, anger, brokenness. And if you and I remain silent, can our world afford that? Can our world afford to miss out on the pure message of the gospel for what it really is a lot of times we might be looking at our world and we might be seeing the news I mean you flip on the news for four seconds it's like negativity this guy killed this guy and explosions like it's just terrible stuff all the time right you, you turn on the news you're like I'm gonna turn it off I need to watch something like to start looking up puppy videos to make yourself feel better that's how negative the news can be right what we look at and we can often say God where are you in all this right And I wonder if God is saying, well, well, where's my church? Where are my people? Because here's the truth, that God so often decides to use you and he decides to use me to be his hands and feet, to reach out to a broken world and to care for them. And this is kind of scary because the more I read the Bible, the more I see this to be true. We're just going to dive in here for a second. Matthew 28, they... they, commentators call it the great commission. The last thing that Jesus said to his disciples when he was physically here on the earth was, hey, go and make disciples. I'm going to go to heaven. It's up to you. Boom, he's gone. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to help you, but yes, go and make. Now, he gave us a commission. In 1 Corinthians 12, 27, the apostle Paul gives us this metaphor that the, that the name of this message comes from. He says, guys, we are, there are many members of us and all of us make up the body of Christ, meaning that All of our talents, all of our abilities, we are to go and love the world and we represent Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says that we are ambassadors for Christ and that God makes his appeal to the world through us. Now, if you're anything like me, because sometimes I wake up in the morning and I, you know, look in the mirror, wash my face, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm a pastor. You know, like, you ever think that? Like... Like, why would you leave this up to us? Like, why would you leave it up to poster board guy? He's not doing it right. And, and why would you leave? Like, God, do you see the news? Do you see what's been happening in Pennsylvania, the terrible cover-ups? Like, like, like people do weird things in the name of the church. Where they, and it's like, why would you? Why? And here's the thing. I don't have an answer for that. But what I do know is that God wants to use you and he wants to use me. That though we are flawed, He chooses to use us, and the the truth here this morning is that you and I have have the amazing privilege to be able to be used of God, but the problem is that we always, we don't always let him, we don't always let him, and and that could be a whole message in of itself, maybe we don't feel equipped, maybe we don't feel this, but really what it comes down to is this, is that when we go out of this room, we may be the only Christ that somebody sees, We may be the only Bible that someone may read. And so what we do or what we don't do is so important. And see, this is why we gather here. We gather here to be reminded. We gather here to worship and give honor to our God who has saved us by his grace. But then we also gather to remind ourselves, hey, what is our mission? What has God called us to if you're not a Christian here this morning or you're new to faith and you're trying to sink your teeth into it and try to understand it, maybe you might kind of feel like, okay, this is like a family conversation. You ever have like one of those times when you were younger, you're at a friend's house playing and then the, the, something happens and the, the parents come in there. Like, All right, we have a family meeting. Okay, you can come too. Like, you know, and you sit down, and you're kind of like awkwardly sitting there. Well, this is not that. This is something that is great because here's the thing. We're going to be talking about some, some, hey, what does a church need to look like? But in that... We're going to talk about, hey, what is the pure message of the gospel? And so this is just as much for you. If anything, it gives you insight into how the church should be, what we're really aiming at, what we're all aiming at here today, but also what the gospel is really about. And so I'm excited because I think for all of us, as we kind of just kind of hit pause, we zoom in, we're going to see, man, God has some awesome stuff for us to do, and we're able to do it. And so we're going to be in Ephesians 2, but before we go there, We need to realize something, that before we could talk about what we are to do for God, we need to understand our standing with him. Because a lot of times we can get this confused thinking, like, I need to do all these things so he loves me. Like, is that how it works? How do I earn salvation? Well, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul, the apostle Paul, gets to it, and we're going to go there. So it's going to be Ephesians 2, verse 8 is where we're starting here this morning. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not that of yourselves, It is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. So salvation is a gift. It's a gift. It's a free gift of God. And see, we can't earn his forgiveness. We can't earn his favor, but it's something he gifts to us. He gives it. It's not a result of what you and I do. It's not like we're like, okay, well, let me try to weigh out the, good, weigh out the bad with the good. No, it, it is simply a gift of God, and that when we accept it, that's where everything begins. We can't claim that we've earned our faith. We can't be like, oh, I took a couple of Bible courses. I know the, I memorized the Bible front to back. I'm good. And then God's like, oh, here's salvation. No, it is that it is a gift given freely to everyone. And so maybe you walked in here today, and you're like, man, I'm not... I'm not this, I'm not that. I'm not good enough. I made all these mistakes. Well, guess what? Good news. God has given you salvation. It is a gift, and gifts are free. And grace is huge. Grace. It says, by grace, you have been saved. So grace is the fuel that we run on here. It is the driving force behind our salvation. And here's a note about grace. The second that grace Becomes something that is earned is the second that it is no longer grace. The second that grace becomes something that is earned is the second that it is no longer grace. And so the foundation here that we need to build on before we can talk about what we do as a church and what we are to be responsible for as Christians is to realize that our foundation, I'm sorry, our works don't earn us salvation. God graciously gives it as a gift. Okay, well, you're like, oh, that's great. That sounds a little too, too good. What about the works? Like, what about all that stuff? The Bible says a lot. Well, in verse 10, Paul begins to show us how that, this works out. He says this in verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Notice how it says that we would walk in them, but not be saved by them, right? Big difference. Big difference. But I love what it talks about there in the first part. It says, for we are his workmanship. For we are his workmanship, meaning that we are a work in progress. That when we say, okay, Jesus, I subscribe. I need you to atone for my sins. I subscribe to who you are. I make you the Lord of my life. He begins a process in us. He begins to work. And and so often, we can look at ourselves throughout that process and begin to count ourselves out. But we need to realize in order to get progress... It is a process. So progress is a process, right? No one just wakes up one day and it becomes like so much better in where they're at in life, right? It takes time. So progress is a process. And it's important that we understand that because we're going to have good days. We're going to have some bad days. We're going to be nailing it, man. We're gonna be like the best Christian in the world and then we're gonna be like the worst person in the world. But here's the thing. The beautiful thing about grace is as we continue to go to the throne of grace that God so graciously gives forgiveness to each and every one of us, we will grow in that and we are loved throughout that whole process. You were loved when you were a messed up sinner to when you're a perfected saint. That, that, that because of the blood of Christ that we can come boldly to him and receive forgiveness but then be empowered. Alexander McLaren said something awesome when he talks about earning salvation. He says this, To work up towards salvation is preposterous. It is inverting the order of things. It is beginning at the wrong end. It is saying X, Y, Z before you have learned to say A, B, C. We are to work downwards from salvation because we have it, not that we may get it. And whatever good works may mean, they are the consequences not the causes of salvation. So what he's basically saying here is that my good works, your good works are consequences or probably a result of our salvation. When you look at an apple tree, the only way you're able to tell that it's an apple tree is by its fruit. And likewise, when the world looks at us, they should be able to see that we are a Christian based off of our fruit of good works. But, This is what their new reality is. This is the reality that we need to stand on before we talk about doing anything. It's that we are loved first. And so when we accept him, we are forgiven and we receive salvation. And then a beautiful process gets started in us. God begins to work in us. God begins to change us. And now we get to do good works. We get to. We become empowered beyond ourselves to then do them because our God is empowering us to do that. As you can follow along with this on the screen. No longer are we defined by our productivity, but we still need to let God be productive through us. So the recap of this kind of foundation we're building on is this. We are loved, forgiven, saved first, and then we go and do the good works. We don't do it to earn it. God has given it to us, and now our response is to serve him. It's this awesome We don't have to worry about fear of failure as much as it's just, God, I need your help to help me get through. When I was younger, uh, I was in peewee soccer. Uh, I'm not the tallest person now, so you can imagine back then I was definitely not tall at all. Um, Our team was terrible. I have a little picture of me I was able to find. There's me, little me, 71. What a weird number but anyway, 71, there I am, and and, you know, I was looking at that picture, I'm like, oh, look at me playing the game, but then I realized something terrible, like, where's the ball? Like, what am I doing? So, I photoshopped the ball in there, and that looks like a lot better of a picture, right? But the reality of it is, you could take the ball away. Uh, I'm about to kick that kid in the shin. Like, that that kid's shins are going to be hurting after, like, he's bracing himself, if you look, all right? So, we were terrible. We were a terrible team, like, not good. I mean, it's wee soccer. Kids are picking flowers off the ground. Um, you know, they're, they're walking towards the side. Like, no, no, stay in the game. Like, that's what wee soccer is. You could take that down. Thanks, Shannon. But we were so bad. And there was one game I remember we were struggling so bad. Like, we just couldn't. We were kicking the ball sideways. We weren't even kicking it towards a goal. And so I remember we're, we're trying to get it in. I remember just being frustrated. Like, this, how is this hard? This is not happening. Like, no one on the other team is good either, you know? And our coach's son, he was older. And and the coach put him in the to be the goalie. Now, as I look back, it was because he was bigger and he wasn't really supposed to play much. But I guess maybe he wanted us to win. I don't know. But either way, he was not supposed to play. For some reason, I remember that. And I just remember he got so frustrated. This is our goalie. He starts crying. And he runs out of the goal, steals the ball from one of our players dribbles around the opponents and kicks it right into the goal. I remember that was the most conflicted excitement I felt as a little peewee soccer player because I was like, yes, we got a goal. But then I was like, wait a minute, our goalie did that? And that just feels wrong, you know? Because he was like carrying the team on his back. He was kind of like LeBron Jamesing it a little bit. Like he was, you know, just doing the whole thing himself. And I don't, I wonder where that kid is now. I think he's, I hope he's doing awesome things, but Here's what we'll agree. We'll agree that that is amazing. We'll say, that, was, that, was, that sounds like a cool story. That sounds like that guy really did a, a lot. That was cool. He's, ta- he's very talented. But when we are talking about a team, we're talking about the definition of a team, we would probably agree that that is not a definition of a team because it is not sustainable for one person to carry the whole team. And likewise, we are a team here. There's not one player that's better than another or more important than another, that we are all important, that all of us have a role to fill. And if God in verse 10 has said this, that I've created good works for you, then you and I, we can't afford to waste time. I don't know about you, but I feel like LA Fitness has kind of taken over the world. You know, like they've, they've just like knocked down a grocery store and be like, mine now. Like that's how they do it. And so they are everywhere. But here's the thing. My wife was recently looking for a gym, and it kind of gave me this example. A lot of times we can, we can treat church kind of like how we're, we're looking for a gym. Ooh, oh, let's, let's see this gym. Oh, wow, they have a big pool. Oh, my gosh, they have all these classes, you know? And see, that's okay because that's okay when it comes to, you know, a consumer. You're paying money. You're going to a gym. Like, you want to be frugal. I get it, right? So when they change your yoga class from, like, 7 in the morning, which you were so used to going to, and at 9.30 they change it. You could switch gyms. Like, that's cool. Like, that's, that's you know, you got to do that. It's smart. But often we can come into, we leave our gym we, on Saturday, right? We clean up. We get ready for church on Sunday. We come to church. And so often we take that same consumer mindset, which isn't bad, but it's bad when we bring it into this room. Sometimes we walk in and we, we, we look at everything. And we're like, hey, how can this place serve me? I've been guilty of this before. We all have to some degree. We walk in and we say, How can this place serve me? But the truth here is today is if we took God at His Word and said and realized, Hey, I began, He has things for me to do. And we began to focus on how we can serve. I think we discovered that we'd get way more out of serving than kind of just taking a back seat. And so, yes, a lot of energy has been put forth to say, You matter. And what we do in here matters, but what we do out there matters as well. And so we're going to be in Ephesians 4 now. We're skipping ahead. And Paul is reminding a church how to be a church. And so I want us to get fired up. I want us to look at some of these things. And some of these things I think we're doing well. But I think that as we kind of look at them, we remind ourselves that we're going to be more challenged and equipped to go out into this world that needs the pure message of Jesus and so we start to see this theme in Ephesians 4 where we're starting. Paul says a lot of, hey, don't do this, but then start doing this. And that's important because if I were to walk out of here with a, you know, have a camera crew and stuff and interview people on in the streets and say, hey, what do you think Christians are known for? I think we get a lot of, oh, well, they don't do this, they don't do that, they don't like that. You know, so we get a lot of that and say, Christians can be known for what we don't do not necessarily what we do, right? And see, God has called you and I to be doers, not a bunch of not-doers. And so I love this this section of the text, and I think we're going to get some principles out of it that can encourage us today, because there's a lot of, hey, don't do this, but then he gives us stuff to do. Because a lot of times, we can think Christianity is a game of defense and not offense. You're like, Andrew, what, what does that mean? So often, we could be way too busy trying to keep a strong defense against sin that we can forget to be on offense when it comes to love. Like, we're so worried about, like, what we need to not do that sometimes you and I, we can easily forget, hey, but wait, there's another job for me to do. So as we look in this text, let's really dig out some principles that we can really kind of hang out with. So Ephesians chapter 4, we're starting at verse 25. This is Paul saying, therefore having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So the defense here is, okay, put away falsehood. I mean, like, don't lie. Don't believe false things. Cool. Let's do that. But then more than that, speak truth with your neighbor. See, that's the action. That's what we're called to do. And see, this can make us uncomfortable because we can be maybe more worried about, well, if we're liked, or we're, maybe we're fearful that we might be like the poster board guy. We might be the, the come across as judgmental. So we, we tend not to speak the truth, and we end up telling people sometimes what they like to hear, often to their detriment, right? But then the other extreme, I think, is even worse. The other extreme is some of you, you know, or some of you know, the people in the church, not so much here, but can berate people with the Bible. It's like they have the Bible, and they start slamming people on the head with it, right? And then we can come across as judgmental or self-righteous. And see, God calls us to be in balance here. He calls us to speak the truth, but lovingly. I think Martin Luther King Jr. said this so well. He said that attack the false idea, not the person who holds that idea. Man, and that is so important because as a church as a whole, if we can grasp around that, then we're going to see so much good change. When a fit friend or a family member is making a bad choice, tell them, but lovingly. We need not be afraid of telling the truth. We need to stand up for what we believe in, but do so respectfully. Tell people about the truth of the gospel in a way that is caring, because when it comes back to it, we need to be caring. can't be just to keep log of how many people we, we've told. And Paul gets this because he says, for we are members of one another, is what he says. We are members of one another. He understands that, that hurt to one means hurt to all. That if you're hurt, then that hurts me and vice versa. So he's saying, listen, let's speak truth to one another. So the first principle we kind of see from this text is that we are to lovingly speak truth to those around us. That's what the church needs to be known for, that we are to lovingly speak truth to those around us. Let's skip down to verse 28. It says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So, okay, the defense part of it here is don't steal, okay? But then more than that, we are to share with those in need. You ever hear that quote? It's kind of dated now, but it's, show me your checkbook and I'll show you where your heart is. You ever hear that? Right now, it should be like, print out your credit card statement and we'll see what you like. Like, that's pretty much today's version of it. But I think it's important for us to take a self-inventory every once in a while. Are we so wrapped up in what we want? Like, for me, like, if I'm honest with you, I want a drone, like, so bad. Like, I would love to get a drone. But, okay, anyway, that's a side note. We could be so concerned with that that we forget to share with those in need, right? Right? And you might be saying, okay, Andrew, well, I do share with those in need. I share with my friends. I share with my family. And I would say, that's awesome. I would say, keep doing that. But here's where it begins to get a little weird. What about the jerk at work or that angry person from school? You see them, they're in need, but, but they're angry, and that's kind of weird. Or that rude family member. And, and here's the thing. The reason why it's hard is because a lot of times we feel like they don't deserve it. And here's the thing. They probably don't. So often, though, we tend, we tend to just put people aside because we become the judge and jury, right? But here, it says that we are to help anyone in need, and that's where it gets hard. And I think a lot of times, we do this cop-out thing. I don't know, maybe, maybe this has happened to you, but where you tell someone about a need, and someone goes, oh, wow, you're... You don't have food on the table. Like, oh, well, I'll be praying for you. And so we, we can kind of do that, oh, I'll be praying for you thing. And here's the thing. That is so important. Prayer works. And, it, like, again, I asked prayer for this message. I had so many things going on this week. I texted a whole bunch of friends. said, like, guys, please pray for me because I believe in it. But so often we can kind of use that as a cop-out. Be like, oh, wow, that's terrible. That's happening to you. I'll pray for you, right? We go home. We say like a 10-second prayer. Or we forget to pray altogether, which I'm guilty of. And when God doesn't show up, we go, God, why didn't you show up for their need? Why didn't you do that? I think our Heavenly Father could be saying the same thing. Well, well, why didn't you show up? Why didn't you fulfill their need? Because so often, I wonder if it's that God planned to use you and use me in their life, and we just kind of failed to act. I don't think we do this on purpose sometimes. Sometimes. I think it's just we can get so caught up, and that's why it's so important we talk about this. And so the second thing we dig out of this text is that we are called to give to anyone in need. We are called to give to anyone in need. And the the Greek word that Paul uses for the word anyone means anyone, (laughs) not just those who deserve it. And that is hard to swallow. But again, if, if our salvation is built off of grace, and we need to give to those in need. Verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So the defense is watch your mouth. Like I think we, we all try to work on that one, right? But the offense part of it is to build people up, to encourage them. We are humans in this place. We are people. But a lot of times in life, we tend to act like a parrot, you know, and you'll know what I'm talking about in a second, you're kind of like, what? You know, when you, this ever happened to you, you're walking in the store, you just like walking, you see someone you kind of knew from the job or from high school, it's been a long time, you don't really want to do that talking thing, it's kind of awkward, like that's why I don't go to the mall sometimes, um, but you see someone you kind of know and you do that, hey, how you doing? And then they say, hey, how How you doing? And then you both keep walking, and you just, you know, no one answers each other's question. It's like a rhetorical hello. You, you, you ever have that happen to you? Sometimes you get lucky, and you'll get the, how you doing? You go, good, you. And then you don't respond. Like, they could be going down the street to rob a bank, and you would have no idea. But, you, they, you know, it's like that's how it goes, right? Now, I'm kidding, because obviously that happens a lot. But often, do we make time for genuine conversations? Genuine conversation for me to know what's really going on in your life, for me to encourage you, to build you up. Hey, that is important. Anthony spoke at the Green Room a few weeks ago. Anthony was the guy who led worship today. Um, he spoke at Green Room, and he was giving a message about, like, hey, like, treat each other better type of thing, because that's what kids struggle with. And honestly, that's what us adults struggle with too. And one of the things he said was a challenge, and I thought it was so awesome to share with us. It was this. He said, anytime you think positively about somebody, Tell them. Wow. And in a, in a day and age where I could just take out my phone and text you, hey, I was just thinking about you today. Like, you, you really handled yourself well on Sunday, helping with this and doing that. Or, hey, uh, thank you for encouraging me. Like, when we think positively about someone, man, what if we began to tell each other? Because we are to build each other up. And so are you an encourager this morning? Because the third thing we see from this text is that we need to be people who seek out others, encourage them, and build them up build them up. That's what we need to be known for. There's one last ingredient that I want to top, I'm sorry, uh, cover today. And this ingredient is probably the most important one. And to illustrate this before we get there, I have a story. Philip Yancey, in his book called What's So Great About Grace, he tells a story. He tells a story about one of his friends who was just out and about in the city during the day and a prostitute comes running up to him and she was frantic and she was in need and she begins to tell him all the terrible things that she was doing. And, and some of them are really, really intense. And I'm not gonna say what they are. But beyond the usual stuff, there was a lot going on here. And he begins a dialogue with this woman and we kind of jump into what Philip Yancey's friend said. He said this, at last I asked if she had ever thought of going to a church for help. I will never forget the look of pure, naive shock that crossed her face. Church, she cried. Why would I ever want to go there? I was already feeling terrible about myself. They just make me feel worse. Wow. And see, Philip Yancey's point in retelling the story was back in those days. People would run to Jesus. The prostitutes, the broken, the hurting would run to him not away from him, and I wish, I wish to tears that this was just a story in a book that we can all say, whoa, all right, that doesn't happen today, though, but just this week, I was hanging out with a friend who walked away from the church, and he said to me, Andrew, I don't feel like I am comfortable there. I don't, I don't feel like I, I could walk into a church and feel loved. I feel like I just feel judged, and he has a lot of people in his life that are super judgmental of him, that are, don't come here, thank God, but all the more brought up this terrible truth that that is true for so many of us, that the church should be known. And when I say the church, I mean the church at large. Guys, again, we are, we are such a loving place here, but we're gonna, I'm just going to challenge this a little bit because the church as a whole can be known for we're supposed to be loving, we're supposed to be caring, we're supposed to you know, push the love of Christ, right? But instead, we aren't truthful to those around us. We don't tithe. We don't volunteer our time or our talents. We don't help out the needy. We judge those who are different. Instead of hating the sin and loving the sinner, we condemn the sinner. We can be self-righteous and think it's all about our works. When we just read before that it is not by our works, but it's by the grace of God. And this is why I think Philip Yancey hit it on the head when he said, Moralism apart from grace solves little. The only reason why I am changed, the only reason why you are changed is because of the grace of God. And when we leaned into that grace, he changed everything for you and for me. And so we can't be selling the world this you need to earn your salvation type of stuff. Because our salvation is based off of grace. It's so ironic that so often what we are missing is what we have an abundance of. Grace to those in the world, right? And so if our salvation is based off of it, then you and I, we need to be rich in it. We need to be patient with those who don't think the same. We need to be caring to those. And, and again, I think we're doing this well. But this is what our world thinks of church. This is what our world, they confuse the actions of people with the love of Christ sometimes, right? They, they think the, love, the actions of people is what Jesus represents. And sometimes that's not always true. So you and I all the more have a job to go out into this broken world and be his hands and be his feet. And so here's the thing, I'm going to fail you, you're going to fail, fail me, right? And so let's agree today to show each other grace because that's, that's where our faith is built off. of. Because we're his representation to to this world. So, by His grace, we are to show grace. So, the fourth and final thing that we see is that we are to dispense grace to all. And all means all. All means the poster board guy. It means that person you completely disagree with at work. It means that arrogant person that you find hard to be around. That we are to dispense grace to all because that's what Jesus did. That means we stand up for truth, yes, but in a loving way that is gracious. And verse 30 kind of brings it together as we land the plane. It says this, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Paul is writing this to a church. He's writing this to people who were saved. He's writing this to people who are in the process. And so today, I don't want any of us to sit here and say, wow, I'm not doing this right. I'm not doing that right. Hey, welcome to the process. Let God work in you. But the only way for us to see growth is if we know where we are to grow. And so it's important this morning that we look into this. Because God calls you and I to action, and his grace is available to equip you and to equip me to be his hands and to be his feet. Because we may be the only Bible that somebody reads. We may be the only Jesus that somebody may see. And I want to be the reason people run to God and not from him. And I believe there's so many of us in this room that are awesome and could be a part of that as well. And so one thing I want us to grab here today is this, is that our God-given duty is to dispense grace to a graceless world. Our God-given duty is to dispense grace to a graceless world. Football season's coming up. I'm super excited about it. Uh, I really would love to go to a Jets game, uh, I guess, to watch them struggle. I I mean, I don't even know why these days, but we're going to watch them struggle a little bit. I would love to go. And and if I were to go to a game, this is what I'm expecting. I'm expecting to watch it, right? I'm not expecting them to be like, all right, we're going to call down Andrew Muller, new running back. He's going to be 13, you know. We're 71, like my soccer number, okay. And so I'm not expecting them to do that because one thing, first off, it would make the Jets a lot worse and I don't want to get crushed. So uh, that would be bad. But here's the thing. I would expect to watch it because it's a spectator sport. And so when we come into this room, this isn't a spectator sport. We get an opportunity to all play on the same team together. Inside these walls, some of us volunteer, some of us are, you know, there's a lot of stuff that has to happen to make today work, and a lot of you awesome volunteers, I was just meeting with our team, I'm like, look, we're going to be talking about what the church should be like, but, but you guys are killing it, and so we have a lot of awesome people here, and you have an opportunity to do it inside these walls, but more importantly, we need to be doing this outside of the walls. being the hands and feet of Christ. So the question I have is, how can you extend grace to those around you to love like Jesus loved? Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, Andrew, this is a great message for everybody else. Because if you knew what my backstory was, you'd not want me in this room. Maybe, maybe that's how you feel. And, and, and here's what I'm here to tell you, is that there is no one so far gone here today you may feel like you're talentless and unable, but I'm here to tell you that no, 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 that's not true in Christ. You are talented. Do not count yourself out. That you are important and you are loved. You might not be perfect, but if you subscribe to the grace of God, he will equip you in ways that you never thought possible. We need to just stop believing the lie that we have nothing to offer. Let God work in and through you. So just a quick recap. The four things we see is we are lovingly to speak truth to those around us. Two, we are called to give to anyone in need. Three, we are to be people who seek out others, encourage them and build them up. And the most important one of all, we are to dispense grace to all. If you're not a Christian here this morning, this is the gospel, that God sent his son. He saw us and our sin stuck. He came to die for our sins to cover us. By grace, he gives you and I salvation. It's not going to be your good works. Your good works are a result of what he's doing in you, yes, afterwards, but the way it starts is just by coming to him And by grace, he transforms our lives. By grace, you and I are then able to show grace that he loves you this morning. He wants you to draw near, and that can happen today. And if you're new to faith, you're trying to figure out, hey, this is a place you can ask questions. This is a place where you can lean and say, Hey, I'm struggling with this. I need answers here. And we will do our best to encourage you and to point you in the right direction. But we need to realize for everybody here, faith is a process that was started by grace, fueled by grace and sustained by grace. And so if that's true, and it is, that our God-given duty is to dispense grace to a graceless world, I hope you guys would join me in that. Let's just pray here today. Jesus, we, on top of everything we've just discussed this morning, are so thankful for the grace that you showed us. God, we fail you. We are sinful. But yet you have saw us, as the Bible says, while we were still your enemies and you died for us. To bring us near to you. To reconcile us to you. That there is nothing that we can do on this earth that would pull us away from you. that that is so far beyond saving that we can run to you, God, and receive forgiveness for anything that we've done. And then you could use us. Paul, who wrote these words we read today, he was a murderer, but you transformed his life to write most of the New Testament. I think that's an example to us today, Jesus, that you can use anybody. That no one is far gone. That we are all to be the hands and feet of Jesus. So God, we thank you. And I pray that we would not feel condemned as much as we'd feel free to do what you've called us to do and to know, God, that you love us. You've redeemed us. We're going to fail. We're going to fall. But we are saved all the while, and it is a process. And you understand that because you've created it. And you're going to work in through this church. I thank you, God, for every person in this room. I pray they would feel your love today. I pray, God, that they would know that they are loved pray you would heal any wounds of the past. But ultimately, God, that they would be close to you and that you would begin to use them in this world that so needs you. And Jesus, we thank you. We invite you to do amazing things. And all this we pray in the matchless name of Jesus.